Uh, I just want us to take a minute uh, to chat to uh, our neighbor, and I want you to uh, talk about whether you believe that God heals today. Do you believe that God heals today? And, and why do you think that? So let's just take a minute or two, uh, chat to the person next to us, either side of us, uh, about that question. Does God heal today? And why do you think that? Okay, uh, those conversations were finished. Sorry to butt in. Uh, you might want to continue that conversation after uh, the service when we're having coffee and tea together. Maybe somebody was just sharing a story they haven't got to the end of uh, about when they perhaps prayed for healing and God did or didn't heal. Um, the problem is, is that sometimes we might believe that God heals, but we might pray for healing and God doesn't answer our prayers and it leaves us with all sorts of questions. And to be honest, I have my own baggage when it comes to the problem of praying for healing. And we're just going to pray now, and then I've got to continue. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you are here, that you're with us. And we ask that you would speak to us uh, as we look at Scripture, as we explore this whole topic of healing. Uh, Lord, some of us have real baggage when it comes to this, for whatever reason. Uh, and so we pray that you, we would uh, listen to you. We would listen to what your Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so as I said, I've got a bit of baggage when it comes to uh, praying for healing. And it all started uh, when I was about 12 or 13 uh, with my step-grandma, Auntie Una. Auntie Una uh, lived quite near where we lived. And her house was just opposite uh, the bus stop that I used to stand at with my friends uh, to catch the bus to go to school every morning. And if you saw Auntie Una approaching you while you were stood at the bus stop, literally my heart would sink. That sounds awful, doesn't it? It did. Uh, and that is because of this. Auntie Una was like properly super spiritual. You know, she was on another level. Uh, and, uh, and so she used to come up to us at the bus stop if she saw me there. And she'd be like, Libby, uh, is anything wrong with you? And I'd be like, no, nothing wrong with me. And she'd be like, um, you know, Claire, whoever I was still with, anything wrong? And they'd be like, oh, I've got a bit of a sore back. And Auntie Una would proceed to pray for healing, including anointing with oil at the bus stop in front of all my friends. That is no exaggeration. That's mild. I've got many more stories about Auntie Una. Uh, and so because of this, uh, it was just not cool. And um, I, it made me quite fearful about praying uh, for healing because I associated prayer for healing uh, with my slightly bonkers step-grandma, Auntie Una. Maybe you've had similar experiences to that, hopefully not at the bus stop when you were 12 or 13 waiting for school. For many years, I've associated uh, praying for healing in that way. I've also had that double why question when it comes to healing. That why me, God, or why that person? Why is it that they're suffering and we've prayed for healing and nothing has happened? Why, God? Why? Why, God, didn't you answer my prayers? Is it that my faith isn't big enough? Maybe I've, I'm just not the person to pray for this person. Why, God, have you not healed that person? And yet there are those times where I've known God's healing, either personally or I've prayed for somebody else and they've been healed. And I've known God's healing, God's favor, God's love, God's power in that moment. 
And that brings with it a different why. Not the why God, but the why me God? Or why this person? Why, thank you so much for what you've done in answering my prayers. And I'm ex- I expect I'm not the only person in this room with this sort of baggage uh, when it comes uh, for praying for healing. But fundamentally, I can stand here and say that I believe that God does heal today. I don't always understand the why or the why not or the how, but I do believe that God heals today. And so sometimes I've learned I just need to leave the big questions, the big unanswerables to God and trust him in his power. John Wimber, uh, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said this, we, not God, place limitations and unbelief on God's compassion and mercy. We, not God, place limitations and unbelief on God's compassion and mercy. Isn't that true? I know that I am the one often that lacks faith and is cynical about healing, whereas I know that God is good. I know that God is compassionate and God is merciful and he does have power over all. I believe that Jesus has the power over death and disease. As we've just been singing, he is the name who is above every name. And he does have the victory. And sometimes when I'm crowded in with these doubts or these fears about praying for healing, I need to put my confidence in the goodness of God and to step out and just go for it and just pray. What's the worst that could happen? And one of the questions that's often asked around this whole subject of praying for healing is who is able to pray for healing? Who? Is it just some of us in this room that can pray for healing? Or is it all of us? Who is able to pray for healing? And I think the Bible uh, uh, tells us two things. I think the Bible tells us it's some of us and it's all of us. Let me explain. It's all of us because we are all disciples of Jesus. And because we're all disciples of Jesus, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we were filled with the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Um, And so the Holy Spirit in us enables us to pray for those who are sick in body or mind or spirit and to pray for healing. Jesus sends his disciples in the Great Commission out to bring in the kingdom of God. And part of that bringing in the kingdom of God is to see people healed, is to pray for healing. Mark 16 says this, Jesus says this, Go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. In my name, you will place your hands on sick people and they will be well. Now, he says this to all his disciples who are gathered. He doesn't say, ah, you know, Peter and James and Philip, you're the ones that I'm applying this bit to. He just says it to them all. Go. So all of us are able to pray in Jesus' name uh, for those who are sick. But at the same time, there are some of us in this body of Christ, in this gathering here, who will have the specific gift of spiritual, the spiritual gift of healing. Not everybody has been given the same gifts, and we've been exploring this over the past few weeks. In 1 Corinthians 12, 29 to 30, Paul says this, Are all apostles? 
Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. Not everybody has all these gifts. We don't all have the gift of tongues. We don't all have the gift of prophecy or teaching or, or the spiritual gift of healing. But we all have the ability to follow Jesus' example and to pray for healing as he has commanded us to do. But some of us have been given a particular spiritual gift of healing. Maybe my aunt Una was one of those people. Having lived in Edinburgh for two and a half years now, um, I have to say there's one thing that really disappoints me about living here, and that is this, that none of my children have yet got a Scottish accent. It's a deep disappointment to me. I always thought Finian would be really cute with a Scottish accent. Anyway, uh, nothing, nothing even resembling a Scottish accent. But I have noticed some changes in their pronunciation and their use of particular colloquialisms. Uh, so we have lots of I and we and out with. What on earth is that about? I don't get out with, but anyway, we have a lot of that in our house. Um, when we arrived here, um, all of them had that southern English vowel, raspberry, grass, bath, all that malarkey. As an out-and-out Yorkshire girl, that really disturbed me, that all my children uh, had long uh, A vowels. And um, when they were little growing up, and they, I, it became apparent that they were saying raspberry and grass, I used to say, no, that is wrong. You cannot pronounce it like that. That is incorrect. It's bath and grass and all that sort of thing. So to my delight, having been here for two and a half years, even though they haven't got Scottish accents, all my children now have short vowel sounds. <laughs> Something has rubbed up off on them. Sometimes when we spend uh, time with people uh, with different accents from ours, it's sort of, you know, we pick up language, don't we? Or we pick up the sounds uh, that people say. The, the people around us influence us in so many ways, don't they? And in our passage uh, today, Peter, Peter, Jesus' disciple, has been traveling around the country and he ends up in a place called Lydia, Lyd, not Lydia, Lydda, visiting uh, some of the other followers there. And he hears about this man called Aeneas. And we find out that Aeneas is paralyzed and he has been bedridden for eight years. We can't imagine what that must be like. Being bedridden for eight years in Western 2018 is bad enough. But eight years in bed in this, you know, with no TV with no, you know, supermarket down the road, no NHS. You can't imagine what that must have been like. And remember that Peter is not just some random Christian here. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He had spent uh, time with Jesus 24-7 for three whole years. And so a lot of what he saw Jesus say and do has influenced him massively, even now. Even when Jesus is no longer uh, with him, he is filled with the power of Jesus. And, and we see Peter, and we see it happen here, Peter imitating and following Jesus' example when it comes to healing. He says to Aeneas, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. 
Jesus Christ heals you. Take care, get up, and take care of your mat. Now, I don't know whether that sounds familiar to you, but when I was reading this, I was thinking, those words are mightily familiar. And uh, it reminded me of Jesus' healing of the paralytic in Mark 2, verse 11, where he tells the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Peter uses nearly exactly the same words. He's not just making it up. He's not just doing his own thing, going, I'm going to have a little go at this healing malarkey. Uh, He's replicating what he has seen Jesus say and do. Take up. Take care of your mat. Anyway, Peter is then called away uh, to to a place called Joppa because a a disciple named uh, Tabitha has been so ill that she has died. Why do they call on Peter to go at this point? Maybe they've heard uh, and they know that Peter has a particular spiritual gift of healing. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why they call Peter to go in that moment. Or, Or maybe what they know is that Peter is the one who has hung out with Jesus for three years. And they're thinking he'll know what to do in this circumstance. And so they call Peter to them. And Peter goes upstairs And he goes to the place where Tabitha's body is laid out. And we read that he sends the grieving women out of the room. And then he says to the dead woman, Tabitha, get up. Again, does this ring any bells for you? Peter's actions and words of healing are almost an exact copy of what Jesus does when he brings Jairus' daughter back to life in Mark 5, 41. In this incident, incident, Jesus goes upstairs. He sends uh, the grieving parents, the grieving people out of the room uh, where Jairus' daughter is laid. And he commands in these words, Talitha Kuhum, little girl, get up. There's only one letter difference. Talitha Kuhum, Talitha Kuhum get up, little girl, get up. So Peter follows Jesus' example. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do and to be, to follow Jesus' example. The word Christian, it means little Christ. We're called to be little Christ everywhere we go and in everything that we do. And in this situation too, we're called to follow Jesus' example, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And that includes praying for healing. Peter doesn't, as well, I don't know if you noticed, he doesn't do these long, drawn-out prayers uh, that go on for ages, asking the Holy Spirit to come a thousand times just to be sure, using massive, long, drawn-out words. He just simply says, get up, get up. And so we follow Jesus' example when it comes to praying for healing. And secondly, is that the miracle of healing is done through the power of Jesus. The miracle of healing is done through the power of Jesus. Healing, even if it is uh, done by somebody with the spiritual gift of healing, has nothing to do with the particular person who is doing the praying for healing. But it has everything to do with the power of Jesus at work. He is the one that comes and does the miracle. It's nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with Jesus. When Paul speaks about this gift of healing in 1 Corinthians 12, in Greek he uses this phrase, charismata hamaiton, 
charismata hamaiton, to describe only the gift of healing. And this phrase, charismata hamaiton, is translated as this, grace gifts of healing. It's the only time that Paul puts the word grace before the description of the gift. He doesn't say grace gifts of teaching or grace gifts of encouragement, but he does say grace gifts of healing. Why does Paul emphasize this word grace when it comes particularly to the gift of healing? Well, I think it's because Paul is wanting to make it super clear, uh, especially in this culture at this time uh, that, Paul, that, 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 that Paul was speaking into, where there were all sorts of people rocking up, uh, claiming to heal people and trying to do uh, miracles of healing, that the gift of healing, the Christian gift of healing uh, at work among the people of God is purely a result of the grace of God. It's purely a sign of God's grace. It's nothing to do with the person who's praying for healing, but it's everything to do with God's grace at work, healing through the power of Jesus. It's a sign of grace. Healing is a sign of grace. In Acts 9, Peter declares this to Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus Christ heals you. And then we hear uh, when he goes to Tabitha in Joppa, he gets on his knees and he prays for Tabitha. He gets on his knees and he prays for Tabitha. It's through the power of Jesus that both of these people are healed, not through the power of Peter. And so it's in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are able to pray for healing today. And so when we feel nervous, uh, perhaps, about praying for somebody who is sick, maybe we question, do I have enough faith? Will I know what to say? Remember Peter. He just said, Jesus Christ heals you. He got on his knees and prayed. It was purely through the power of Jesus that those two people were, were healed. It was nothing to do with him. It's got nothing to do with us. It's got everything to do with Jesus. And then thirdly, healing is a sign of the salvation we have in Jesus. Healing is a sign of the salvation we have in Jesus. Aeneas healing brings him freedom, brings him freedom from that paralysis that has kept him bedridden away from the community for eight years. Tabitha's uh, healing brings her freedom from death as she's resuscitated to continue her life. Illness of any kind, death, sadness, grieving, loss, these are not part of God's perfect design for all creation. All these things are a sign of the brokenness of the world that we now live in. But through Jesus' miracles, we see signs of the kingdom of God. When Jesus died on the cross and then rose again, he broke the power of sin. He broke the power of illness and death and grief and mourning. And Jesus redeemed all these things. He made them all new. Uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it tells us that we are new creations. The old has gone, Paul says, and the new has come. And yet. And yet. We're living in the now and the not yet. We're living in this 
in between time, between the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and the victory that Jesus won on the cross over sickness and death and dying. And the time when 1 Corinthians 13 tells us the time when perfection comes. We're living in the waiting room, if you like, the now and the not yet. The time when there'll be no more sickness and crying or pain is in the future. The time where there'll be no more hospitals, there'll be no more GPs or waiting lists, no more undertakers, no more children dying because of injustice or war or starvation. No more. And so it's in this in-between time that we find ourselves, between the cross and the resurrection and our future hope, where God will make all things new. And so healing now, healing is a sign of our salvation. It's a sign of our future hope. Healing is a sign to remind us that God is still at work in this world. Even though we might just stand here sometimes and think, what on earth is going on? Healing is a sign that God's kingdom is here. It's a sign to remind us uh, that God's way is restoration, and it is wholeness, and it is life in all its fullness. I love it that the Greek verb, if you can love Greek verbs, I love it, that the Greek verb um, widely used for healing in the Gospels is sozo, sozo. And it means to make healthy. But it's also the verb for salvation, to make alive. Sozo, to make healthy and to make alive. Healing of the body and healing of the soul. Uh, in Jesus' kingdom, they overlap. Healing of the body and healing of the soul. Healing shows us on a physical level what God is doing on a spiritual level, bringing people to wholeness, wholeness of spirit and wholeness of body. And so we need to be bold in praying for healing because healing points to Jesus. It shows us something of what salvation looks like in the here and the now. When my grandma was uh, around 70, she was diagnosed with cancer. I was always really close with my grandma, Lucy. And uh, she was diagnosed with cancer, and it spread really quickly. And uh, in a short period of time, she had cancer of the bowel, the stomach, and the liver. And things didn't look very good for her. This is sort of early 80s time. Um, she had many operations. Uh, she had bouts of chemo. And eventually, the doctors called in my mum and my aunties and, and said that really there was nothing else that they could do. She'd had every operation she could have. Uh, she'd had all the chemo that she could have. And uh, they gave her six months maximum to live. And at that time, my grandma wasn't a Christian. Uh, but during the time she was in hospital, uh, a local vicar uh, started visiting her called Mike. Mike was an incredible person of faith, and he spoke freely of Jesus everywhere he went. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. He just went for it. I love it. And he used to sit by my grandma's bed and, and just talk to her about faith and the world and Jesus, um, and also used to pray for healing for her as well. And my mum and my aunties, who were Christians, prayed for her too. And at some point uh, during her stay in hospital, uh, my grandma gave her life to Jesus. And at some time during her stay in hospital, my grandma was healed. 
because one day she went for one of her routine scans and then for some tests and then they scanned her again and she went for some more tests and there was no trace of the cancer in her body at all. It had gone completely. And the doctors couldn't quite understand it. I'm, my mum was like, oh, well, you know, Jesus has healed her. And they went, okay, then. Um, they couldn't quite understand it. We believe uh, that God healed my grandma. And she went on to have a fit and healthy life, ruling the family, a great matriarch, uh, for, uh, until she was 93 years old. And yet, as Michael Buckley puts it, as we look around us in the world, we are more conscious of a vast sea of suffering than the small islands of healing. As we look around us in the world, we're more conscious of a vast sea of suffering than the small islands of healing. And so on the flip side, my auntie Judith uh, was 35 when she was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer. Uh, Many people prayed for her and prayed for healing for her. And uh, she rallied for a little while, and, and then she, we found out that the cancer had gone to her spine and she had secondaries there. But people continued to pray for her. And like my grandma, my Auntie Judith uh, gave her life to Jesus in hospital. But she wasn't healed. Three weeks before she died, uh, she married her partner, Chris, who she'd been with for 11 years in hospital. And she died peaceably. And actually, at the time she died, uh, they were listening to a tape. So that's how long ago it was. And, um, and the words of the song that they were listening to in her hospital room were, Lord, lift me up. And she died peace of, peacefully, knowing that she was going to be with her heavenly father. And six weeks after she died, Chris, her then husband, who was an actor... Uh, gave his life to Jesus too. And later on, he got ordained, and he went on to have an an incredible ministry, and still still does uh, amongst the acting theater world in London and in Bristol as well. Um, And so I know, I know that Jesus was glorified through both of those situations. One resulted in healing, and one resulted in death but life. So fourthly, I believe that healing brings glory to Jesus. Healing brings glory to Jesus. After Tabitha was raised, did you notice uh, that in verse 42 it said, many people believed in the Lord. Many people believed in the Lord. When Jesus heals that paralyzed man that comes through the roof in Mark chapter 2, we find that many people praise God. So often healing is accompanied by an expression of faith in Jesus. And that's what happened with my Uncle Chris. Uh, Ben was a very intelligent 17-year-old in the school I used to work at. And he used to come and spend hours with me uh, discussing every apologetic issue that he could think of. Uh, We spent hours, he used to come at really ridiculous times of the day, like half past eight on a Monday morning as well. Uh, He wanted to know, did Jesus really exist? And if Jesus really existed, was Jesus really God? And how do we know that? And if there is a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? And we spent hours going round in circles and nothing ever convinced Ben. But then some friends of his uh, from school invited him to their church uh, one Sunday. 
And it was during the worship, uh, one of the girls that he had gone with literally stood up and walked out of the wheelchair that she hadn't been able to get out of for a year. And it was then that Ben was convinced that Jesus was alive. And everything that we've been talking about and going around in circles about was actually true. In our skeptical world, uh, when people so often doubt the existence of God uh, and only believe in what could be scientifically proved, seeing a physical healing, seeing a miracle, it challenges us to consider the existence of God who is powerfully at work in the world today. We can present the most convincing theological arguments, can't we, for God? But that, when that message is accompanied by a miracle, whatever that miracle is, it grabs people's attention and makes us realize that God is indeed at work in the world and that healing brings glory to God. I want to finish by telling you a story. Uh, a story it's a true story uh, about a guy called Pastor Dwayne Miller. And he was a a gifted preacher, there he is, with his wife, and he was leading a a church in Texas. And one Sunday, he was meant to be preaching twice, and he hadn't been feeling very well over the weekend. He'd had flu. And he got up to preach once, and it was fine. It was a bit of a struggle, but he felt pretty grim. And by the afternoon, when he had to preach again, um, not only did he feel physically not well, but his voice um, had gone really rough, and he was really struggling uh, to speak. He just couldn't face, uh, shake this virus, and it just hung around for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, and basically, what happened was that this virus attacked his vocal cords uh, in a way that doctors couldn't understand. It was something very rare. They hadn't seen it before. Now, remember this guy is a preacher in the southern states of America in the Baptist tradition, and uh, so preaching was hugely important to his whole ministry. And so it was the most devastating thing because he couldn't speak. He literally couldn't speak. He describes how he had a constant pressure in his throat. It just felt like he had uh, the severest uh, dose of, of laryngitis. And it went on for three years. And after a year uh, of struggling with this, he actually resigned from his position uh, within the church because he simply couldn't do the ministry that God had called him to. And he and his family moved uh, to Houston in Texas. They started going to another church there. And um, and Dwayne Miller describes how he went through a period of real depression and and real questioning, God, where are you in this? Why have you allowed this to happen? Why is it so devastating? And the, the, the church that he went to, they had a thing on a Saturday, a bit like our School of Theology, but massive, because uh, it's a massive church. And, um, and various people would tutor at this and speak at this School of Theology, this Bible class. Uh, and one Saturday morning, uh, somebody was speaking, and they were taken ill during the Bible class and couldn't continue. So the leaders of the church contacted Duane and said, we need you. Uh, you're the only person we can think of to come and continue uh, this teaching uh, this morning and he hadn't done anything up front he couldn't speak and he said well I can't do it I'm he was really reluctant to do it partly because he his voice was a rough whisper and also because of everything he'd gone through his confidence was at an all-time low but they said please can you come and do it and so they rigged him up with this microphone really close to his mouth so that you could just make out uh, what he was speaking They also uh, tape-recorded what they were saying because they did that every week so that those who couldn't be there that Saturday morning could pick up the tape the next week and listen to the sermon. 
Interestingly, uh, Dwayne Miller was given Psalm 103 to speak on and the topic of healing. Let's just listen and watch for a moment. So when the psalmist writes, and he heals all of my diseases, let me say to you that I believe God still heals. That hasn't ended. That is not over. Now you have to be careful around how you do this. Because there are folks who carry things to an excess, and it becomes a show. And God has never intended that that be what it is. God heals in his sovereign will. I don't know why. God does things that he does, but I know that he does. And the only thing he requires of me is to allow him to be God and me to be me and let it be. To say that every single person will always be healed because Jesus died on the cross is a misinterpretation of scripture. Not true. Won't work. Isaiah 53 doesn't talk about physical healing. I'm sorry. That's just not the context. And to impress that there causes a misinterpretation of Scripture. That's wrong. On the other hand, to say that, since we don't have anything after the book of Acts, that miracles ended at the book of Acts and they never happen again is equally as wrong. Because you have put God in a box both ways. And he doesn't want to be in a box. So... The psalmist says, I'm excited, bless the Lord, oh my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And in verse 4 he says, and he redeems my life from the pit. Now I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had, and you have had in times past, pit experiences. We've both had We've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. I'm both overwhelmed at the moment. I'm not quite sure what to say or do.
So Dwayne Miller was literally healed as he was preaching uh, about healing. I don't know why God does what he does when he does, but I believe that God does heal today. I believe that God is sovereign and that he has compassion and mercy. And sometimes he just calls us to step out in faith, not always fully understanding, but just trusting.